Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, we are going to continue today in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 10. Uh, hopefully, as you walked in, uh, you saw what I promised you last week, which is uh, these little booklets. Uh, if you did not pick one up, be sure to get one on the way out. Uh, this is... Uh, this was my promise to you last week that uh, I would give you a copy of my, uh, my study notes that I created for a, a Bible that I contributed to, the uh, Baylor Annotated Study Bible uh, on the entirety of the book of Galatians. Uh, also, it's my, it's my kind of promise to you that I know a little bit of what I'm talking about because you're going to have to trust me today. Uh, I'm... Some of what I'm going to say doesn't come directly out of uh, verses 6 through 10. And it's, um, oh, it's a little bit like the overture. So my family and I, just last night, uh, we watched the, uh, the movie uh, The Wizard of Oz. And as the wizard, because we're going to go see Wicked, uh, actually. Uh, so... Yeah, so we saw, last night we watched The Wizard of Oz, and when we were watching The Wizard of Oz, it opens with what? An overture. And an overture, as I told my kids last night, and they already knew, uh, uh, is where it plays uh, like all the major themes uh, of, the, uh, of the movie, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like, no? Yeah. Okay, good. I got at least one thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so today, uh, it feels a little bit like the overture uh, to the rest of the book of Galatians, uh, some of which, what I'm going to say, comes directly out of what is in these verses. Uh, some of what I'm going to say comes in the passages that follow. Uh, it all gets bound up together, and uh, we'll get there eventually anyway. So um, be sure to pick one of these up. And then the last thing I would say uh, before we get going here uh, is that on this Wednesday, uh, as Clint so uh, eloquently said, uh, it's the third Wednesday of the month and we're going to meet uh, in here and we're going to have um, a time together. Uh, I actually haven't decided entirely exactly what we're going to do uh, for this Wednesday, um, which is what... I had planned. Uh, so my hope is that this, here's what I've said to a few of you. Uh, so on Sunday mornings, the, the box of the sermon uh, kind of keeps me uh, in a certain boundary set. So there's only so many things one can do with a sermon. I guess technically I could take the mic off and I could say, hey, let's huddle around and, and like have this really fun casual conversation. I could do that but that's probably not going to happen on a Sunday morning. Uh, Bible study also, it creates this other little box, uh, and the, that, that box is also great, right? Uh, and, and in it, uh, we have a boundary set of things we can do. My hope is that on these third Wednesdays of the month, it, it creates its own unique little box uh, in which we can uh, create what we need as a church uh, to, to make our way through this year. I actually uh, have high hopes for this year. I, I think God is afoot. Uh, God is at work uh, in this church and in this community in the world. Uh, and I'm excited uh, to use these third Wednesdays together uh, to, to seek God's will together uh, and to move forward as Southern Baptist Church. 
With that, uh, let us begin with a word of prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. As we come this morning, we begin with praise. We've spent the last half hour singing praises to you, reading your word, offering up our lives back to you. God, in the moments to follow, we anticipate your word will continue to speak. God, we need it to speak somewhere deeper than, than, than our head. Uh, it needs to make its way deep down within us into the core of our very being, into our hearts, into our souls, that it might change us from the inside out. God, we believe in the power of your word. We believe that the Holy Spirit works through it, and works in us. And this is what we desire. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, the very briefest of recaps from last week, uh, I would just simply point us to two things. The word apostle, you might remember if you were or were not here. Uh, the word apostle means somebody who is sent out, right? And in this case, Paul is, is really adamant about arguing for his apostleship because the apostle uh, as an office, a church office back then, was somebody who saw the risen Christ is a, test, a living testimony to the fact that Christ was dead and now is raised and is seated at the throne uh, of the Father. And, uh, and so Paul, uh, as he writes us this letter, He's writing with an authority that other people back then and even today do not have. It's just simply put, right? And he, is, he, he has been sent on mission from heaven itself, from God himself, right? The second thing I would remind you of is in verse 4. He talks about, uh, he, he kind of waxes upon who this Jesus is. Jesus is the one, verse 4 now, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Right? And it's this phrase, the present evil age, that I would just kind of draw us back to for a moment. And, and to remind us that, well, if there is a single question, and it's, I'm going to say it probably a couple times throughout this sermon, uh, that you might not think to ask. The question is, is what time is it? Okay, what time is it? And this is the question that Paul is asking, because he believes that we are in a different time than just, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years prior to whenever he's writing this. Okay, And he's saying, the times have changed and now it is time to think differently, to act differently, to expect different things. We'll come back to that. Let's read together from Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
if we can pause for a moment, uh, many of you know uh, that when Paul begins his letters, he begins all of them very traditionally, okay? And in the first five verses of our letter here that we talked about last week, very traditional opening, okay? Uh, if you turn to basically any one of his letters, you're going to find something similar to this. And then, in good letter format, he usually, in all of his letters, has some sort of uh, greeting that is kindly, and it's filled with uh, love and admiration, and he says things like, I'm praying for you, and, and uh, you know, I think y'all are awesome, and uh, keep up the good work, and, uh, and we get none of that here. This is the only letter uh, like this. He skips over the pleasantries altogether, right? Which should immediately send us on like high alert. Like, what's going on? Uh, his first words out of the chute are really, I'm astonished, right? I'm astonished. Uh, now, if your mom or dad says that to you, I'm astonished, right? You know what? You're in trouble. I'm surprised. I thought more highly of you than this. <laughs> you've, you've what? You've, you've disappointed me. <laughs> but in Paul's case here, it's not so much that uh, he has been disappointed himself. Here's what he says. He says, I am astonished that you, Galatians, are so quickly deserting right? They are uh, actually defecting, is the real word here. They're changing sides, uh, like in an army sort of sense. They're, they're, they're moving from uh, one uh, nation uh, into another nation. And, and who are they doing this to? They're doing it to, well, he says, him who called you in the grace of Christ, now, the question is, who's the him, right? Who's the one doing the calling? Is it Paul himself, right? Is, he, is Paul the one who called them into the grace of Christ? And so they are, they are now not on team Paul. Uh, they are on team, you know, somebody else, right? Is, is that the problem? I would say no. Uh, no is, is the most likely answer, because Paul doesn't use the word call in this way. He talks about God being the one who calls. And, and the real story that sits behind this is that God has called the Galatian church into a new kind of community. And he has created this new being called the churches of Galatia and the church worldwide. And it's a new creation, is what Paul would argue. And uh, God has, has called these people into that new creation, and he has set uh, with them a new covenant. And these people are defecting, and they are moving away from what God has called them into and they're reverting back to some former way of life. Almost all of these words are actually directly from the book of Galatians. He will talk, he use this kind of language throughout his letter. 
And so he's concerned that the Galatian churches have defected from this beautiful thing that they were called into and have reverted back to something else. And so he's upset. So he goes on and he says, I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Grace here, uh, of course, key word that we need to return to. And you're turning to a different gospel. Gospel, also a key word that we'll spend some time with. And then he says, not that there is another gospel, right? There is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So what we have here is a battle between Paul... And these other people, I'm going to call them the teachers, uh, who are distorting the gospel of Christ, right? So the battle is that Paul has taught them this one gospel, which he received straight from heaven as a revelation from Jesus Christ. And then on the other team, there is those who have been taught a distorted version of the gospel. Excuse me. Verse 8, this is where Paul gets real. And he, uh, in case you thought the stakes were kind of high already, and dad was saying to you, I'm disappointed. Yeah, now it, now it gets, you know, he really raises the stakes and he says, even if we, right, even if I myself or uh, these other brothers who are writing with him, if you recall from uh, verse 2 up there, even if we tell you something else, or even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, and then he says, again, raising the stakes here, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. This is how serious I am, Paul wants to say. If for some reason I go crazy and I start preaching a different gospel, or if you think you get this angel from heaven to come and and preach to another gospel, don't believe it. Don't believe it. In fact, let them be accursed. And then if saying it once wasn't enough, he says it a second time, As we've said before, now I'm saying it again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? This is a bit of an odd statement uh, on the surface of it. If we were to dig down deep, there's there's quite a bit here. Uh, You see, it seems sometimes... The art of reading a letter in the New Testament is like the art of uh, listening to a phone call that, uh, where, where you're hearing this one person talk on the phone. You don't necessarily know what's being said on the other side of that phone, but you can start to distinguish maybe what some of the other things. Do you know what I'm talking about now? Well, still on the same page. 
So, yeah, good. A few more thumbs up. Uh, so the art of uh, reading this letter requires us to, to peer behind uh, and ask, well, what's happening with these uh, Galatian teachers who are leading them astray? And Paul's going to argue that, well, these folks, they are seeking the approval of man and not of God. That's the actual accusation. Paul wants to say, those false teachers, they're seeking the approval uh, of man. They're not seeking the approval of God. And Paul is going to uh, put forth his own scars from the trouble he has received, from the stoning he has received countless times, from the jail time he has served, right? He's going to put all this forward and say, look, if I were seeking uh, to appease man, I wouldn't have all of these problems in my life. However, these other teachers out there, they seem to be doing all right. <laughs> and so maybe they're the ones who are appeasing man. They are seeking to please man and not God. And he concludes, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. All right, we need to jump into the very uh, central question of what is the gospel. This might be uh, a no-brainer for you. In fact, in some ways, it, this would be, if I were to uh, take the mic off, sit down in the middle of the room and say, huddle up, the first question I would ask is, What's the gospel? You tell me what the gospel is, right? Adults especially, I think you should have an answer for this. Youth, you should have an answer for this. Children, you should begin to be developing an answer for this. Before we get into maybe like a, a fulsome answer, I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. It was our Old Testament reading for the day. So keep your thumb on Galatians and turn to Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 52, uh, 7 to 10, we find the following. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Now, it's easy if you missed it already, but the word gospel was in there, Right? The word gospel means good news, okay? And so Paul would uh, likely use the word gospel in a few senses. He, he might have a few ideas running around in his brain. And one of them would be the way the Old Testament sometimes uses it. And here would be an example. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel. The good news. Well, what is the good news. What is the gospel in this case? Let's keep reading. Who publishes peace? Who brings, there it is again, good news of happiness? Who publishes salvation? Who says to Zion, your God reigns? Now this gets us already very close to what the gospel is. It's, it's of course good news, simply translated, but a very specific kind of good news. In this case, and as we keep reading, you'll see, good news is your God reigns. Your God has been victorious. 
you had been taken into captivity and now you've been released, right? Your God has won. Good news. Happiness and peace abound in the land. We'll keep reading. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Good news indeed. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Redemption is part of what is the gospel. It includes some kind of redeeming the people who were enslaved. uh, We've got a few classes running. I mentioned this last week. Uh, This week I got to sit in on the, the Exodus class, which begins in slavery. The Israelites are in slavery, and they need redemption. And the theme of redemption and redemption from slavery at a very literal level is a theme that runs throughout your Old Testament, but it runs into your New Testament, and it gets picked up in a way that's really important because Jesus is going to redeem us. One question worth asking is from what or who? Let's keep reading here. In Isaiah, starting in 10 now, the Lord has bared his holy arm. Do you know what this means? When, when God bears his holy arm, what is, what is God doing? He's, he's going to war, okay? Now he's your dad who has rolled up his sleeves and he's ready to, to do business on your behalf to beat up that kid down, the, maybe the kid's father down the street, <laughs> Right? Okay, not the kid down the street. Uh, and he's ready to do business. And he's ready to protect his own, right? And so the Lord bears his holy arm before the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see what? The salvation, the salvation of our God. And here God saves Israel, God redeems Israel, and this is all good news. This is all gospel, okay? And so when you hear the word gospel in the New Testament, you should be thinking in these terms and maybe a couple others. You see, the Romans, uh, they too would have had an understanding of what the gospel is. In fact, they would have used this word gospel in two very specific contexts, both of which are kind of close to what I just read from our Old Testament. The one is the birth of a king. So when a new king is born, when a new Caesar, that is, the, a, a notification goes out to all the uh, countryside and it says, good news, good news. We, we have a new king and uh, this king is going to bring peace to the land, right? And then the second way it gets used, again, very similarly, except this time, with uh, respect to some kind of war that has been fought on behalf of the kingdom. And so the, the Caesar might send out a message to, uh, to the towns in uh, the Mediterranean and say, uh, euangelion, is the term, uh, good news, gospel, good news, we've beat back the barbarian hordes. <laughs> they are no longer a threat. We don't have to worry about them. 
That's the good news, right? And so one of the contexts of the word gospel is simply victory. Your God reigns. Salvation has happened. But of course, in the New Testament, when we're talking about Jesus, there are these other questions that should go along with victory. We sing a song that's called Victory in Jesus. You know this song, right? But victory over what? Victory over what? Victory over death. Victory over sin. Uh, The Galatian letter is going to tell us uh, over these forces of evil that exist in in the universe. That is part of the victory that has happened. And then victory for whom is the next question. Who gets this pronouncement? Is it just a certain select group of people? And the answer there is no. It's victory for everyone, for all the nations. This is Paul's whole job, right? He is an apostle to the nations, to everybody. He goes throughout the world. He he wants to go as far as he possibly can go. He talks about wanting to go to Spain. Now, I don't know if he just didn't know there's more. Like If you keep going north, (laughs) there was more up there. Uh, But he, he was trying to get as far as he could. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly... Victory by what means? How is this victory achieved? How is this victory achieved? And this, this is the question where Paul and these other teachers who are distorting the, the good news or the gospel of Christ, this is where they start to bump heads. Victory by what means? Now, you and I both know that the answer to this question is by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Galatian teachers, however, had a couple other things in mind as well. Now, let's turn for a second in case uh, we just need a refresher just back a few pages from the book of Galatians, back to 1 Corinthians 15. We were there last time too. But at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, we find some really important stuff about the gospel. Hopefully you are reminded of this because we did a whole series this year on 1 Corinthians 15. But this is a good reminder. Paul says this, to the Corinthian people. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, there it is, that I preached to you, right? And he's about to lay out very clearly, here is the good news. Here's the victory of Jesus in which you stand and by which you are being saved. There's that word. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And what is the gospel? He says it very clearly here. I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I received, that Christ died, 
for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to a bunch of people, it turns out. <laughs> Died, was buried, was raised, and he appeared to a bunch of people. And this is, for Paul, the gospel. Now, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 15, he has to address a specific problem that they're having. Namely, they don't know what to do with the resurrection part of the gospel, right? And so they're disbelieving that the resurrection of Jesus happened, or, or they're, they're questioning it, or they're wondering. That's not necessarily the problem that our Galatian friends have. Our Galatian friends have the opposite problem. Our Galatian friends don't know what to do with the death of Jesus. And they're wondering, well, how, how, how does Jesus' death fit into any of this? If we just back up a second, I can uh, perhaps get you to the point where the, you might understand why they would wonder this. You see, especially if they're a non-Jewish people, if they're a Gentile people, they might hear the words gospel or good news, and they might say to themselves, great, we've got a new king. Tell me about this new king. And then we hear, oh, this king wants to bring you victory. And in fact, this king wants to bring you uh, victory over sin, over death, and usher you into a new age. And these people might say, wonderful, that sounds great. This sounds like a king I can get behind, right? And then... There's the question, oh, yeah, well, so the king, just so we're clear, died and then was, was raised again from the dead uh, and now is seated at the right hand of the father, okay? And he's reigning on high. And then they say, well, well that's odd. That doesn't seem to be a, a necessary part of this story. What came before all that? And, and then the answer is, well, what came before that is the story of Israel and the story of, of God saving these uh, Israelite people from slavery uh, and then giving them the law on Mount Sinai and then years of, uh, well, sometimes victory and, and sometimes defeat and, and then sometimes they go off into exile and then sometimes they come back. And, uh, but now, now they've got their king, the king of Israel, uh, and, and your job, again, I'm talking as a false teacher here from our uh, book Galatians. Now, your job is to keep all those laws that we found uh, in our Old Testament, and, and your job is to do all of those things. And if you can just do all those things, well, then you'll be with that king too. And Paul says, no. This strikes at the very heart of the gospel itself. The gospel itself is that Christ died and was raised again from the dead. He died and his death had a purpose. And as he'll say in chapter 2, uh, he'll say, I mean, if we have to go on keeping all the works of the law, well then Christ died in vain. No purpose. He didn't need to do that. And Paul wants to say, but he didn't die in vain. The death of Christ had a very specific kind of purpose. In fact, he's already said what it is. 
So the death of, death of Christ was there to deliver us from our sins, right? Death and sin. And to, uh, pres- uh, to de- deliver us from this present evil age. Which gets us back to, Paul is asking the Galatian people, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Because the false teachers are wanting to act like nothing has changed. But me, I'm delivering to you a gospel that says that everything has changed. Everything's different. We're living in a different time. And Paul's gospel in this way, you have to realize, is incredibly radical. Incredibly radical. What he is doing, he is asking a lot, especially of the Jewish people who are used to keeping all of the law. They've spent their entire lives learning how to keep all the law, all the works of the law. And Paul is coming along and he's saying, that was great, and I was part of that too. And now God is doing something new. Because Jesus has died and fulfilled the law, He has been raised from the dead, and now he has offered his Holy Spirit to fill our lives and to act as a law on our hearts. This is what Paul is doing. So Paul's mad, as I've said. It is worth asking, why is he so mad? It's because they've not understood what time it was. They have begun to revert back to an old way of living to which he has tried to free them from. He is trying to express to them how important it is that they are no longer under the law of Moses and that now everything, including and especially Scripture, must be read through the lens of Jesus' victory through his death and resurrection. And that we all have access, not just the Jewish people, but everybody has access to the inheritance of God. But here's the real kicker, and it's the word that we haven't gotten to yet. It is by grace. It is by grace, right? It is a free gift. Here's the last thing I'll tell you, because this is the important part of it all. I think Paul is so mad, and he's reacting so strongly, because he knows that what is available to these Galatian people is something that they've not really experienced before. And that is that that, uh, Paul is telling them what God is doing in the world, and what God is doing in the world is moving us into a very different mindset than any of us can, that we frankly all struggle to this very day. We struggle to adopt. The mind of Christ is very difficult to adopt. And it's the mind of grace. Because we're all used to a works sort of righteousness in this case, or works-based living, or if I just try hard enough, then I will get the, uh, the reward that I deserve, right? This is like wired within each and every one of us, it seems. 
If we just do enough, if I spin my wheels enough, and if I get straight A's, or if I put in the extra hours at work, or if I try to impress my, my loved ones, right? And it's, it, it's a love that is conditional in nature. And we're all searching. We're, we're reaching out for someone to love us back. And we're saying, well, maybe if I just do enough of the right things, that my friends will love me, and uh, my spouse will love me, and my family will love me, and who knows, maybe even God will love me. And God comes along and takes a baseball bat to all of that. And he says... Look at the cross, because on the cross, I'm showing you what love looks like. It is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to deserve that kind of love. And that, that is the kind of love that God offers us first. And then as we adopt that mindset, a grace mindset, we then have the capacity to pass that on to others and to love them in the way that God loved us first. This is what Paul, one of the, the actually many things that Paul is trying to teach us in this letter. Let's pray together. God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. That through his victory on the cross, sin and death are paid for. God, we know that there's nothing that we could have done to pay for sin and death. We didn't have the capacity to do it. We didn't have the ability to do it. And so you sent Jesus to die on our behalf to show us what love is, an unconditional love that you have loved us with from eternity. God, may we accept your grace. May we understand that the outflowing of your love is a free gift and we simply put our arms out and we say, yes, Lord, thank you. And God, may we be the kind of people who are transformed by that love. Who then take that love, that unconditional love, and that we, we pour it out on our friends and our family and our church and the community that surrounds us. May we be those kinds of people with the mind of Christ. A Christ who died for us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We do all of this in Christ's name. Amen.